Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. Join us as we discover the cast of Christmas, the key players in the story we all know and love. What is special about these groups? Why are they part of the story? Reverends Tom Simcox and Don Schwing will open the Word of God and guide us to understand more about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would like more information or have any questions, please visit us at www.gracewaybc.org. Come with us now as we open the Word. In fact, you know what? Each day is bringing us closer to the return of the Lord. Amen? I mean, we celebrated the first Advent. And that was amazing. But let me tell you, the second one's going to blow it away. When the Lord returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and He gets to take over the world, I don't know about you, but uh, whether I'll be here on that day, I will be here on that day because I'll either be here returning with Him or I'll be here because I've been raptured and returned with Him, but we'll be here. And I know that I look forward to that day when the the Lord uh, returns. You know, we began our study all those many weeks ago and uh, we sang Joy to the World, and uh, really, that's, that's what this is all about. Today, we're going to look at our fifth and final cast of Christmas. Are we live? Okay, I, I see that sign. Do you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew in chapter 2. Now, you know, as we begin this, I, and I have to tell you, I, I love, I love, music, I've made that kind of clear to you. I just enjoy music, and I love the old hymns, and I like some of the new stuff. We just sang We Three Kings, and, and really, really great song, but there's a lot of problems with that. Um, and let me just tell you some of the things as they, as they get that up. There's some real myths that surround this entire, entire event. For example, we don't know that there were actually three in number. We don't know they were kings. We don't know they came from the Orient, so our first verse has just been shot. You know, we three, we don't know. Uh, Bearing gifts, we travel apart. Yeah, we're not sure we're from the Orient. We're not sure we're three. We're not sure we're kings. Um, We also have the myth that they were named. They have, uh, going back to the Middle Ages, been known as Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Um, Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Um, we also have the myth that one of the Magi was a, was a black man. We, we don't know that. They probably all could have been, or they all could have not been. We, we just don't know. We also uh, are told traditionally they followed a comet or, or some kind of a nova or some kind of planetary alignment that brought them to Jerusalem. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. The Magi, who are they? I'm glad that we have a chance to spend some time on this. Yeah, there's our introduction. All the, all the things that, yeah, we, we just, there's no way to prove or understand any of this. I mean, these are traditions. And, and they may be true, they, they may not. But there are some things that we can learn from the Word and that we can understand as we look at the Scriptures. For example, the term used is magi. That's the word that you see. Take a look at chapter 2 of Matthew, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men. Now, that word wise men in my translation, I don't know what translation you're using, um, that word is the Greek word magoi. And it's the plural of the word magi. So that's why we understand them as the, the magi. 
And the phrase wise men comes from that Greek word, and uh, they began back in the 7th century B.C., during the Media Persian Empire. In fact, these are probably closely related to the people who trained Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in Daniel chapter 1. Okay? They were also known as the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. They were the, the, the wise men, the, the people of the Media Persian Empire that, uh, that trained Daniel and his friends. They were priests. They did offer sacrifices, but they also developed occult powers. They studied astronomy, astrology, and dream interpretation, which you may remember was very much the case in the Daniel narrative, as brought those wise men, soothsayers, Chaldeans in, and said, I've had a dream, I don't remember it, I need you to tell me what I dreamed and what it meant. And they said, ah, oh, well, that's not how this works. You see, you tell us the dream, and we tell you what it means, and that's how everybody knows this goes. And he said, nope, that's not how this one's working. And then you'll remember that Daniel and came in after he had been alerted to what was going on. He had prayed the Lord revealed the dream to him, so he told him the dream and what it meant. So dream interpretation was part of uh, the Magi's uh, kind of their, their interest study and, and their uh, involvement. They also believed that the stars directly influenced human life. So they believed that the stars somehow you know, be it astronomy or astrology. Uh, we know that astrology, uh, we still see it today in our newspapers and whatnot. Uh, it's probably one of the most ancient religions in the world, going all the way back to Genesis. The Tower of Babel was built for the purpose of studying the stars. And I'm not talking astronomy, I'm talking astrology. They wanted to run their life via the stars. And uh, so it's something that goes way back and something that I think that Christians should avoid. Somehow, God stirred their hearts. Now, we have no idea how that happened. They're, they're probably over in Iran or Iraq. Okay, so we're talking a 900 to 1,000-mile journey from Iran, Iraq, what was the Persian Empire. We do know that when the media Persian Empire uh, began and the Jewish people were allowed to return, we know that not all of them returned. We know that not every Jewish person left that area of the world, including Daniel, did not leave. He was up in his 90s at that point, and it was just too arduous for him to make that journey. So the fact that not all the Jewish people returned, there's even what they call a Babylonian Talmud, uh, a Talmud that was written over in that area of the world. So we know there was a Jewish presence that remained in that area of Babylon after the Babylonian uh, captivity. We don't know whether there was something from them, from, from the Jewish people that were left there, from their study uh, and, and interaction together. We don't know whether it was something else, but God clearly got their attention. God did something in a way that only God can do to stir their hearts to announce to them the birth of the Messiah to the Gentile world. And it's possibly that much of what they understood was related back to whatever began when Daniel and his friends were brought there in captivity. We have no way of knowing but we understand that uh, there was clearly that possible influence. We also can see their journey. Their journey. Now, as I mentioned, they were about 900 to 1,000 miles away. Um, they probably did not ride the camels. In that era, camels were considered beasts of burden. So they probably walked, and the camels carried whatever they brought with them, be it tents or whatever. We also speculate there was probably not three because the journey they took and the way they came was a very dangerous way and it 
was many, many could fall into the hands of robbers and whatever, so there would have been much safety in numbers. So they were probably a larger contingent than we three kings who came. They would have had other people probably with them as they made this, this journey. Uh, we also understand that um, you've heard the hymn or the song, not really the hymn, Christmas Carol, 12 Days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas cover the time from December 26th through January 6th, because those 12 days were considered, January 6th was considered when the Magi actually arrived, maybe a year later or so, but they, they got there on or around the 6th. Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox celebrate the 6th of January. Even my, my great aunt years ago used to talk about what she called Little Christmas. Little Christmas was on the 6th, which traditionally was understood as when the Magi arrived. So, their, their journey, their background, they're, they're, they're wise men in the sense that they're scholars, they've studied, but they've studied the stars. They're probably into some occult practices. They have, the, they have, they believe, the ability to interpret dreams. But they also noticed something in the heavens that got their attention. And I'm not sure that anybody else noticed it. We see no mention of any of this, this idea of the star anywhere else except associated with them. I know tradition, we see the shepherds and the star, really nice art piece, really nice, beautiful to look at, but probably not happened because the shepherds were alerted by angels. The shepherds then who were watching sheep near Bethlehem went back to Bethlehem, which was not a really big town. It was so tiny, it wasn't named in any land assignment that was given to Judah. They had no problem finding where the baby had been born because that was probably a pretty unique occurrence for them at that time. So we're looking at a group of men who have come a, a, about a thousand miles. They've seen something supernatural in the sky that got their attention, and they began to follow it, which is interesting because even to see something supernatural in the heavens would not necessarily drive you on a, on a journey. You could see something, and, and that's not going to make you go. Obviously, the Lord used this to, uh, to put in their hearts and as we even just were reminded as we, we sang the, uh, the hymn, these were Gentiles that came. So not only did the Jewish people come in the form of the shepherds, but the Gentiles came. So God used a very, very unique occurrence. And that's the second cast. I had to put this in as part of the cast because I think the star was much more than, than a comet or, or a supernova or some kind of unique planetary alignment Take a look at the, uh, at the scripture. It says, now they, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men, magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Notice that, his star. We've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, there's a couple of things I think that's interesting about the star. First off, it appeared. It literally just appeared, okay? Sometimes you can see, uh, you can see comets or, or meteor showers, and, and they'll be there, and they, they know how to train them, track them. They know when they're going to come. We've even been alerted on the news. Hey, tonight's a good night to look at this or that. You can see certain constellations. You know when they're there, and they're alerted. This literally, they said, we have seen his star in the east. It, it appeared, and, and, and it also disappeared because it seems like once they got to Jerusalem, the star led them to Jerusalem. Then when they're done with their meeting, it says the star went on before them and literally moved to Bethlehem where it directed them to go there. So this is obviously something unique. It appeared and disappeared. The Magi also referred to it as his star. 
There was something unique about this. This wasn't just a cosmic event in the heavens. This isn't something we can duplicate or that we can track through history of a planetary alignment or a supernova that would flash in and be gone. There was something about this that caught their attention. They said, we've seen his star in the east. It also appeared to them there in the east, and it moved them westward. Then ultimately, when they come out of Jerusalem, it's going to move to Bethlehem, where it's going to stop and stand still right over the place where the child lays. That's a pretty unique star. If it was a comet or something like that, the heat level would be so high that there would have been no flesh that would have survived. So clearly it's not a comet that's just like kind of hanging here over the space. There's something very unique. It also moved north to south, which is not the way planetary bodies move. You can go in a, in a direction, but it doesn't change directions and go from the north to the south or the south to the north. It doesn't do that. Not possible. So not only was it called his star, not only did it appear in the east and lead them directly towards Israel, it appeared again, leading them directly to Bethlehem, which was north to south, and it led them to a specific house where the text says, we're going to see in just a moment, it literally stood over the place where the child was. It's like a giant arrow going, eh, 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 eh. here he is, right here. You've got the place. Now, it's interesting, if you remember when I talked a little bit about the shepherds, you remember the shepherds came with haste. They knew where they were going. The star led the magi because they didn't know, because they didn't know the territory, they didn't know the lay of the land. So the star literally moved around, and like right here, here it is. You'll also notice that he's in a house, not in the, the cave or in the manger. Obviously, this was, was a while after the initial birth, because it took them that time to get there, and... Uh, that he had actually secured a place for them to be able to stay. We also speculate perhaps this entire event of the star not only goes back to Daniel, but goes back to, to something that happened way back in Jewish history in the book of Numbers. In Numbers, we're introduced to a very unique person known as Balaam. Balaam was hired by Balak, the king, to curse Israel. And in fact, three different times he tried to curse Israel, and each time he ended up blessing him. And Balak really got a little angry with Balaam because he was paying him to do this. Balaam was a man who had a spiritual gift that he sold to the highest bidder. He worshiped God, he worshiped anybody if the price was right. And we see in, in Numbers chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, Balaam says, he then took up an oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him, verse 16, who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High. That's talking about the Most High God. Who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes open wide. I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. You see, all the way back in Numbers, God used this, this prophet for hire, this, 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 this kind of just a prophet that, that would sell his gift to the highest bidder to declare that a star was going to come, a scepter was going to come from Judah. And perhaps the Magi understood when they said, we've seen his star. Perhaps they were alerted to Balaam's prophecy of all those years ago because you understand Daniel and his friends would have had the Hebrew Scriptures. They especially would have had the Torah. And they would have studied it. 
and perhaps they had access to it. And they were aware of the fact that there was a star that was supposed to come out of Judah. And where did the star lead them? It led them to Jerusalem, and then ultimately just, just a few miles away was Bethlehem. So it could be a reference to that. We don't know. So we have the Magi. They're studying the stars. They see this, this unique event. I believe this star, I believe this star is not really anything other than the Shekinah glory of the Most High God. I believe this is the same kind of star that led the Jewish people when they left Egypt and they were brought to the promised land. It said that it was a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a pillar of, of cloud. Uh, it was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It led the Jewish people. It moved, it stopped, it rose. I really believe that star, you can study the heavens, you can study the charts, you can go back scientifically. You're not going to find it because I believe that was a divine manifestation of the Shekinah glory, the holiness of God that alerted them, and they followed. That's why it moved. And it's interesting, when you look at the text, it could have led them directly to Bethlehem, couldn't it? They would have saved some time. But he led them to Jerusalem because there's another cast member that we got to look at who's, who's a real, real interesting character. This guy is a real, real wackadoodle. His name was Herod the Great. We could call him Herod the Nutcase. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Herod. Who was Herod? Well, Herod wasn't really Jewish. He was Edomian, and that meant he came from Edom. So immediately, as an Edomite, the Jewish people would look down on him, and they would not really respect him as their king or ruler because the Jewish people can be a little bit kind of, kind of, we three and no more. And they were really wanting to be ruled by Jewish people. As an Edomite, he was kind of a Jewish hybrid. He was, he was part Jewish in the sense of his bloodline and his worship, but he was also not fully Jewish, and they didn't want to be ruled by someone that they considered to be a half-breed. We also see that not only was he uh, not Jewish, he had been appointed as Tetrarch by Mark Antony, and then later Rome made him king over Judea, and he reigned from about 37 to 4 BC. Now, Herod consulted the priests when the Magi came, uh, and they went back in the scriptures, and that's how they knew to go to Bethlehem, because he kept the priests nearby, because he did worship uh, the, the God of Israel to an extent, and he also did do a lot of good things. For example, we know that he enlarged and reconstructed the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. You understand there have only been two temples. The first one was built by Solomon, and that one was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. The second one is built in, in the time of Haggai. It's Zerubbabel's temple during the time of the return. And later, that temple was modified by Herod to include the entire Temple Mount area, the, the Praetorian Fortress where, where the, the Romans were, the guard. He enlarged that entire area. If you ever get to go to Israel and you're there by the Western Wall, that Western Wall is not a wall of the temple. It's a restraining wall that was built by Herod to hold the temple complex up above. You see, our building here has a foundation, and there's, there's blocks that were placed in the ground to hold what's on top up. Well, Herod just enlarged the entire Temple Mount area. There's walls on the west, north, south, and east. It so happens that the western wall is important to the Jewish people because that's where the Holy of Holies would have been up above, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And so that's why they worshiped the western wall. 
But that was all built by Herod. But none of the temples survived the actual destruction of the second temple, which happened in A.D. 70. So he enlarged that area to allow for the, the beauty of that temple that was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He also built a major port city, which today is known as Caesarea Maritime. It's still there. And if you've read the book of Acts, you'll remember that's where the, the king had I'm a God day and he got eaten by worms. That was at Caesarea Maritime. Still there today, and we often go there on our tours. He also built seven fortresses, of which Masada is the most famous. Another part of a tour to Israel is to go to Masada. Masada is this amazing fortress that rises down in the in the, the southern part of Israel, in the, in the wilderness, it looks like it's, it's like, doesn't belong there. It's like this giant tell mountain, and it's just this place that he built. And he was so paranoid that he built it in such a way so that no one could attack him. And in fact, it took Rome years to actually get into the area of Masada. That's where the Jewish people fled when they were fleeing their destruction during the, uh, the, the Jewish-Roman wars. And it was as a result of that that uh, when the Romans finally built the siege ramp and, and got in, the Jewish people there had committed suicide because they'd rather die than be captured by the Romans and turned into slaves. And today, even as part of the Israeli military oath of service, they put in their phrase that says, Masada, never again. They never want to be placed. The IDF will never want to be placed in a position where it's either suicide or, or, or lose. They want to always be ahead of the game and, and win. So that's part of where that comes from as well. So he built that. He built Masada. He, he built Maritime, Caesarea Maritime. He was a, a, a smart man. He was a gifted individual. But he had some issues. He had some issues. He, he was a really unique guy. Uh, he was very insecure, very paranoid. As he murdered three of his own sons, he killed one of his ten wives and 300 officers. Tradition tells us that before he died, as he was sick and dying, that he wanted and commanded that all the Jewish leaders be gathered together and placed in a place where, when he died, they were all to be killed. Because he knew no one was going to mourn his death, and he wanted people to cry when he died. So he figured if he killed all the Jewish leadership, then people would cry, because at least their loved ones were dead, and he made them cry. This is the kind of guy that Herod was. Okay, so now you can understand in the text, okay, he's, he's paranoid. He's, he's a little whacked out. He's, he's, he's really not a, not a nice guy. And you can understand what happens when the Magi come in and they're pointing their finger, where is he that's born king of the Jews? They're standing for a man who was so paranoid that he would do anything to hang on to that title, king of the Jews. And they just said, hey, there's a new king in town. We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Where is he? You're not him. Where is he? I know we have a lot in our music today and a lot that we hear about that we, we see Jesus as king. Folks, the text tells us exactly who he's king of and where he's going to reign and rule. Jesus was born king of the Jews. It's the Jewish king. He is the, of the house and lineage of David. David was the Jewish king, and we're told in Samuel that David's greater son would sit on his throne and reign and rule. If you remember the message that was given to Mary of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. He will sit on the throne of his father David, and he'll reign and rule. So yes, he's a king, but he's not king of Graceway Bible Church. He's our savior. 
He's our Lord. And one day you're going to be part of the administration of King Jesus. I look forward to that day. As we serve him in the millennial kingdom. But folks, when we're talking about Jesus as king, the Magi had it right. Where is he that's born? The Jewish king. For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And that's why Herod kind of freaked out. Herod wanted people killed as he was dying so there'd be tears. How do you think he felt when these, these strangers come in that he doesn't know, they walk into the royal court and they kind of point their bony fingers and say, where is he that's born king? And he's thinking, wait a minute, I'm the king around here. I do the king stuff. He didn't know where to go, so he turned to the priests and the religious leaders. They quick did a search of the scriptures. And they said, well, Bethlehem. Messiah, according to Micah, the prophet Micah, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet shall he come forth to me, who is to be ruler. It's Bethlehem of Ephrata. It's an address. You see, there was a Bethlehem up north. This was, he was not only giving an address, Bethlehem. My colleague, Will Barner, years ago, used to say, he also gave the zip code, Ephrata. He was making it clear. No, he didn't come from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He came from Bethlehem of Ephrata, the house of bread in the fruitful bough, the town of David, too little to be known. But the, the ruler of not only Israel, but ultimately the ruler of earth, Zechariah, chapters 12, 13, and 14, was to be born there. Now, I've often wondered, and Warren and I talked about this as we were, we were discussing as I was reading over this again, Today, if I were King Herod, I'd send some people along to follow the Magi to see where they go. Because you remember in the text, he instructs them to go to Bethlehem. He says, when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship the child too. I would have thought he would have sent some spies. But obviously he didn't. Because the text tells us, after the, the reference to Bethlehem, Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, first off, what time the star appeared. That's going to be important in what he's going to do. He, when did you see this? Then he sent them to Bethlehem, verse 8, and said, go and search diligently for the young child. Notice he's not called a baby. He's probably not a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger at this time. He has, he's grown up a little. He's, he's a child. It's a, it's a different word. He had gotten a little older because it took a while to get there. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So when they heard the king. So we see Herod has, has this whole thing planned out where, where he's really like wanting to make sure that people are killed before he dies. This madman says, go find the king and come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him. Now you understand the Magi didn't know that. They didn't understand who he was. So when they leave the king, their job is to find the baby. And so we know that... Uh, Probably the last part of the cast says here in the text, and when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Okay, they saw the east. It led them to Jerusalem. Now it's going to go in another direction because it's 
Jerusalem's up here and Bethlehem's a little bit south, so it's going to go north to south. So it's moving south and it's going to lead them. And it says here in the text, when they had seen the star in the east before them, it came and stood over where the young child was. So it's like a giant little arrow that's right there to say, here we are. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is where the idea of three came from, because there were three gifts. It's very interesting, the gifts they presented. They first, they come and hear these Gentiles fall down and worship the Lord. They worship Jesus. And then they present their gifts. And it's interesting because gold could speak of deity. Gold could be a reference to the deity of the baby that they were there to worship the child. Frankincense could talk about his purity. It could address his purity and also be a reference to the incense that was used in the holy place as the prayers went behind the veil and, and came into the presence of God. And then the myrrh. The myrrh was clearly, even as we sang in this song, was a reference probably to his death because myrrh was used in embalming the dead. So we kind of have the, the aspects of his coming. Deity came, but he's pure, he's holy, and, and he's God. He, he heard and, and, and understood prayers, but he was also born to die that man might live. And let me tell you, folks, that's the, that's the message of Christmas. I know it's not a, a real upbeat one, but Jesus was born to die. You know, when children are born, I remember when our children were born, I remember especially when Andrea was born, uh, I didn't look at her and say, wow, isn't she beautiful? I wonder how she's going to die. I wonder what terrible plan, how this is going to unfold. We don't focus on that because we look at life. The Jewish people have a phrase, the chayim, to life. But Jesus was born to die. As the hymn writer has said, born to die that man might live came to earth, new life to give. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. That's why he came. He didn't come to amass fortunes. He didn't come to, to, to build a, a kingdom. He came to die for mankind because, you see, God promised to send someone who was going to deal with the sin problem all the way back. Now, we see in the text, and I kind of added this at the last minute because I, I realized that this is part of the account. I didn't want to just cut off there. But they presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, having been warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. You see, they were warned by God, Herod is not wanting to, to worship the child. Herod is a, is a, is a madman. And so we need you to go back a different way. And they did. And then you'll notice there's another warning. Not only did they depart, but it says here that they were warned and they went a different way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now when Herod saw that he had been deceived, 
by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in its districts from two years old and under. And this is called the, 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 the slaughter of the innocents of Bethlehem. Now, I mentioned this to the moms when we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago. Bethlehem was so small, do you realize that the number of children two years old and under that would have been killed by Herod was about six? Because it was so tiny. Now, to put that into population terms of Hamilton, if we were to do that based on the population of Hamilton, we'd be talking about 1,800. You see, to, to the population of Bethlehem, six was as bad as if we were to kill 1,800 little boys between the age of two years old and under here in Hamilton Township. That would be, that would be a massacre. So you've got to be able to put it in perspective because the numbers are really, really kind of out of whack when you look at the population of Bethlehem to the population of Hamilton. But that's how it would equal out. Herod was really, really an attempt by Satan, folks, to stop Jesus from coming. Can I help you understand that God had promised he was going to send his son, and what happened? Satan wanted to stop him from coming because Satan wanted to stop Jesus. Jesus was born king. He was born to die, and Satan wanted to defeat him, to stop him. So if he could kill him, then Jesus wouldn't be able to do what he was going to do, and he would not be the head crusher that God had promised. You see, the Bible is a complete narrative, and God had promised in the fullness of time, when time was exactly right, he would send forth his son, one that was born to die. Father, I thank you so much for this really amazing, amazing account. Father, you have blessed us and given us your word and shown us exactly all that it took for the Messiah to come and to deal with sin. And Father, there was a lot of cost involved, cost to Jesus, cost to his family, and there was a lot of cost to even people around the area because you loved us so much that you sent your son and that he was born to die that man might live. Father, may we understand the meaning of Christmas. May we truly enter in that you came and you sent this perfect gift, the greatest gift we could ever receive because you loved us so much. We love you, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.